we're thinking about uh, over the summer, this, uh, over August, we've been thinking about songs of the summer, uh, summer songs, thinking about uh, various different songs uh, that appear in the Bible. And this evening we're going to be looking at, uh, well, there are two, sh- two songs, really, two songs of Hannah, uh, Hannah in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 1 Samuel chapter 2. And you've got it all written down there. I'm just going to read um, the first one, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and then just the beginning and the end of 1 Samuel chapter 2. One Samuel 1 verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice wasn't heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out, pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And as you, those of you who know the story will know that then Hannah does give birth uh, to a boy, Samuel. And then this is chapter 2, um, her response after um, Samuel has been born. Then Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And let's go down just to verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are gathered together like this, as we look at your word, at these two songs of the summer, songs of Hannah, we pray, Father, that by your spirit, you would minister to every single one of us here this evening, that you would be filling us afresh with your spirit, that you would be working in us as you choose to work in each one of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Summer is the time to feel good. Martin Chilton picks the best 20 songs of the summer that will bring you musical sunshine. That was in the Telegraph. Good summer songs give you a special feeling, a carefree, glowing, sunny vibe that is perfect for late-night parties and poolside gatherings. Uh, That is uh, marketing from Red Bull, the energy drink. Uh, Summer 2017 is just around the corner, and we're getting you ready with some seriously huge bangers. Whether you're hitting the beach or hosting the ultimate summer barbecue, this playlist is packed full of tunes from the likes of Calvin Harris and The Weeknd to Major Lazer and Martin Garrix. Hit play to get your summer started. Capital Radio. Now, all of those, they were all written in early July. Uh, Summer isn't over yet, though some might say it hasn't even started with our changeable weather, Uh, but we are now into the second half of August. 
And I want to ask you, how has your summer been so far? Maybe you've listened to Calvin Harris and Major Lazer. Uh, have you got that carefree, glowing, sunny vibe? Has musical sunshine come your way? Have you hit play with those serious bangers? Or have you missed the play button altogether? Perhaps ended up hitting rewind or pause this summer. How has your summer been? Now, I've been, as I said, away a, a fair bit the last few weeks. I was uh, speaking at a Christian conference in Northern Ireland last week. Uh, before that, I was on holiday in Cornwall. Before that, I was at Focus, like I know many of you were. Before that, I was holiday in Devon. So I've been just away the whole time, basically. Um, and I, I've had a great time. Don't get me wrong, it's been great. But I wouldn't say it has been pure, feeling good and constant, glowing, sunny vibe. There have been good times, but there have been tough times and challenges as well. And I would guess amongst us all here, if we were all to sort of share in turn, that is played out amongst us all. Amongst us, there will be some who have experienced wonderful things this summer, times of celebration, maybe great exam results, I mean, brilliant holiday, uh, getting engaged, Rory and Hannah, congratulations. Um, But there will also be some here who've experienced tough times, illness, relationship difficulties, uncertainties, prayers unanswered, the death of a loved one. Amongst us, if we're honest, this summer there will be desperation as well as celebration. And the truth is, Hannah's two songs that we're looking at this evening, they cover both desperation and celebration. Now, you probably know the sort of backing track uh, to these two songs well. In, In one way, Hannah had a lot going for her. She's married, and she's married to a husband, Elkanah, who loves her, who cares for her greatly, and yet her life is messy. She has a husband, but she shares him. She shares a husband with Penina, an overly mouthy, pain-in-the-neck woman who, chapter 1, verse 7, says of her, her rival kept provoking Hannah in order to irritate her. And most of the attack centered on the fact that Hannah couldn't have children. Now, childlessness was, was stigma enough in those days without Penina constantly rubbing it in. You can imagine, sort of around the dinner table, there they all are, uh, all Penina's children causing chaos, tipping over their food, throwing their food, if they're anything like my children. Uh, but Hannah's there, and she's, she's downcast, she's sad, she's sort of quietly removed, probably in the corner, resigned to her childlessness. And maybe one of Penina's children innocently sort of pipes up, Mum, why doesn't Hannah have any children? You've got all of us, why doesn't Hannah have any children? And Penina responding with some vicious, not particularly subtle put-down. And we're told in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel that this baiting went on year after year after year, constantly wounding Hannah, constantly hurting her, so much that it says she wept and wept and she could not eat. Now, amongst us, the circumstances may be different. But many of us, even this summer, will be able to relate to this feeling of Hannah's, of life being messy life being complicated, there being pain in life, just like Hannah was feeling. And that, if you like, is the context for the first of these two songs. This is a song of desperation. Just have a look at um, chapter 1, verse 10, the top of the sheet. It says there, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Or if you look down at verse 15, Hannah says uh, to Eli, the priest, uh, she says this, she says, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. 
All those words are speaking of such emotion, such pain, such struggle, that weeping bitterly, great anguish and grief. You see, Hannah, she comes in this first song, she comes, if you like, in prayer, totally dependent on God. She has fled Penina's mockery. Elkanah, her husband's well-meaning comfort, hasn't proved helpful. Eli's just thought she was drunk. She is totally dependent on God as she turns to him, and she runs to him in prayer. She's got nowhere else to go. It is a song of desperation. And this dependence on God is just marked by her simply asking God. That's all she does in this song. She asks God, asks him. So simple. Just look, verse 11. This is the actual song. She says, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. She asks God for a son. As I said, we went to, to um, Northern Ireland last week, and so uh, the whole family went, and so I had to sort of gather all our passports together, and as I was sort of leafing through the passports, I was reminded again of uh, the middle names that we'd given our youngest son, Theo, almost two years ago. Um, he, he's going to be two in October. Um, his middle names is Theo, Ebenezer, Marillo, Wynn. And I looked at them, and I thought, what on earth were we thinking? <laughs> What was that fit of creativity two years ago that made us go and choose that? A poor guy, what is he going to do the rest of his life? I thought, what were we doing? Um, but, but as I thought a bit further, I, I did remember Ebenezer. Uh, I know why we chose Ebenezer. Um, Ebenezer in the Bible, uh, Ebenezer means the Lord has helped us this far. And for us two years ago, it was just around the time I was appointed rector here, and just various reasons that that was so strong to us. The Lord has helped us thus far. He's helped us this far, and that means we can trust that he will help us in the future. The Lord has helped us thus far. See, names in the Bible, they are so significant. They are so important. And it's exactly the same with why Hannah calls Samuel Samuel. Later in chapter 1, we don't have it on the, on the sheet, but on the screen you'll see it. Hannah says why she gave Samuel his name. Verse 20 of chapter 1, she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Because I asked the Lord for him. Because Samuel sounds in the Hebrew like heard by God. Heard by God. It's all about asking God for something, and I have been heard by God. Or, or look at what Hannah says when she takes the toddler Samuel to Eli at the end of chapter 1. Literally, it's going to put up literally what the Hebrew says. Well, chapter 1, verse 27. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me my asking, which I asked of him. So now I give what was asked to the Lord back to the Lord. For his whole life, he is the one that is asked for the Lord. So when this summer, when you or I, when we are needing to sing a song of desperation to God, this is what it's to be marked by. Depend on God and ask. That simple. Depend on God and ask. So that's the song of, of desperation, chapter 1. And then we get to chapter 2, after Samuel has been born, and we have a song not of desperation, but we have a song of celebration. The song of celebration. How do we summarize that? Well, if it was depend on God and ask for the song of desperation, it is depend on God and adore for the song of celebration. I mean, just look at the first verse of her song in chapter 2. I think it's staggering. You might expect her to start her, her song of celebration to God by saying, my heart rejoices in my little boy that you've given me. 
But that's not what she says. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Her supreme source of joy is in God. And her adoring, it is centered on the Lord because she recognizes that there is nothing outside of God's control and she depends on him for everything. As this song of celebration goes on, she sings about how God changes situations around in verses 4 and 5. She talks about how God's in charge of death and life, verse 6, of poverty and wealth, verses 7 and 8. She depends on God and adores. And if you remember nothing else this evening, please remember this, that the Christian's song, your song, your prayer life, my prayer life, It will very simply be asking and adoring. Asking and adoring. Asking and adoring. Asking and adoring. You get the point. The truth is there will be some among us here this evening that are more focused on asking at the moment, and there'll be others of us here this evening and we're more focused on adoring. And the reality is that probably for most of us, it is a mixture of both because we have a mixture of songs of desperation and songs of celebration emanating from our souls. Rick Warren, the uh, famous U.S. pastor, he says here how he used to think that the Christian life was a succession of battle, then blessing, then battle, then blessing. But he said, actually, as he's gone on in life, he's realized it's not like that. Not battle, then blessing, then battle, then blessing. But actually both, battle and blessing at the same time. Twin tracks of battle and blessing together. He talks about how when he wrote his um, his famous book, The Purpose Driven Life, I think it was the fastest uh, selling Christian book of all time. There was amazing blessing there. But at the same time as that was going on, his wife Kay was diagnosed with cancer. Twin tracks, blessing and battle. Twin tracks of blessing and battle, and therefore twin tracks in our prayer life of adoration where there's blessing and of asking where there's battle. And that'll be the same for all of us here this evening. Even this summer, those twin tracks, battle and blessing, so asking and adoring. And so what I'd love to do is just to finish by pointing out if you like, two applications that are, you see them in both of the two songs. You see it in the the song of desperation and you see it in the song of celebration. Two applications that are true whether you currently feel you're more in a time of desperation or more in a time of celebration. Two applications that are true for all of us, whatever our asking or adoring combination is at the moment. And here's the first one. First one is, can I encourage each of us, please focus on who you are singing to. Focus on who you are singing to. See, Hannah's song of desperation first. She starts, Lord Almighty. She's referring to the bigness of God, that God is powerful, and yet she also recognizes that this powerful, almighty God, he is interested in her. I wonder if you remember in Exodus, uh, Exodus 3, verse 7, God is preparing Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt. And God says to Moses, he says this, I have looked on the misery of my people who are in Egypt. And Hannah, here in her prayer, uses exactly the same wording. She says, if you will only look on your servant's misery. Hannah assumes that the God who has looked on the misery of a whole nation will also look on the misery of an individual obscure woman in the hill country of Ephraim. 
She knows that God, he is powerful, but he is also personal too. And when we look at the Song of Celebration in chapter 2, it's exactly that same combination. Hannah starts so personally, my heart rejoices in the Lord, but she ends globally, powerfully, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And of course, that's just how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, our Father in heaven. Our Father, so personal, but he's in heaven. He is powerful. That personal and powerful combination. And when you and I, when we recognize that prayer is simply an invitation for you and I to come to a personal Father who is mighty, who is powerful in heaven, well, then we have learned the very heart of prayer. It is nothing more complicated than that. It is you and I coming to our Heavenly Father and adoring Him and asking Him for things. So please, focus on who you are singing to. And then secondly and finally, focus on your song of the future. Focus on your song of the future. You see, Hannah's song of desperation in chapter 1, it, it is wonderfully answered by God. She is provided with a son. But I'm sure for most of us here who've been a Christian for any length of time, we'll have had periods where we are cynical about prayer. Does it work? Does it really make any difference at all? We've prayed, I've prayed, you've prayed. We've prayed for something particular. We've prayed for a new job a new home, a restored relationship. We pray for someone to become a Christian. We pray for God to provide us with a husband or a wife, to pray for, pray for God to provide us with a child. But it seems to have made no difference. Or we have prayed for something. God seems to have answered with a yes, but then we just think, well, it would probably have happened anyway. What's the right attitude to prayer? Should we just be sort of full of faith? God will answer every prayer I pray with a resounding yes, healings, miracles, let's name it and claim it. How should we pray? Bill Hybels writes this in his book about prayer. He says, if the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing's wrong, God says slow. If you're wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right and the timing is right and you are right, God says go. Now, that is good. it's good advice. It's really helpful. But even if we are praying with exactly the right motives, we still can't guarantee that God will answer our prayers with a yes. We need some caution. Just think for a moment of the early church. It's been so great having David here, resident in Jerusalem. Just think back, the early church, two of the 12 disciples. Acts chapter 12, they get put in prison. James and Peter. And what happens to them both? So you read Acts chapter 12, James gets put to death by the sword, and Peter miraculously escapes prison through an angel. People would have prayed for them both. They'd have prayed for them both. One dies, one lives because of an amazing miracle. And while some of us here will be experiencing Peter-type situations, others of us here will be experiencing situations more like James. Some in situations of breakthrough, some situations more resembling death. All of our prayers, they're not necessarily answered with a yes. But what Hannah shows us is this. What Hannah shows you is this. That every time God does answer our specific prayer with a yes, it is, if you like, it is a micro picture of what God has promised to do in the macro in the whole world in the future. Because we know that 
one day there will be a guaranteed complete transformation of this world. And because we know that, we can pray with true expectancy now that what we are praying for now can be answered with a yes, acting as a micro-visual picture now of the full transformation that will be in the macro when Jesus finally returns and ushers in a new creation. Focus on your song of the future. And just to sort of root that, I just want to show you as I close one specific example of this in Hannah's prayer of celebration. Chapter 2, look at the very end of the prayer, the song. Verse 10, down at the bottom, the final sentence of her prayer, she prays, God will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. God will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, as she prayed that prayer... What's the problem? There was no king in Israel. There was no king in existence in Israel as Hannah prayed that. Her prayer is prophetic. Her prayer is looking forward to a promise of strength to King David, who Samuel, her son, would anoint. But her prayer is actually looking further forward too to Jesus, to the king, to the anointed one. And it is a great reminder for us here and for our own prayer lives, the only reason that we can expect, be expectant in what we pray for in the here and now is because of the King Jesus. It doesn't matter how wonderful or disastrous we are, how morally excellent or not we are. It doesn't matter how much or how little faith we have. The magnitude of our faith is not the key. The direction of our faith is what is key. Because it must be faith that is directed towards Jesus, the King, the Anointed One, because it's Jesus who has all the strength and the power. It is King Jesus who is powerful and personal. It is King Jesus who is with you and I in the battles and in the blessing. It is King Jesus who is with us in the desperation and the celebration. It is King Jesus who was with both Peter and James in prison. Peter as he is amazingly, miraculously rescued and James as he goes to his death. And it is King Jesus to whom each one of us can sing songs this summer. Songs of adoring and songs of asking.